Welcome to those of you tuning in online. Thanks so much for being a part of our conclusion to the series, How to Win as Parents and with Your Parents. Now, isn't it true that you want the best for those that you care about the most? Doesn't part of you wish for the perfect life for your kids, for your spouse, for your closest friends? Now, we all know that perfect isn't possible, but there is a lifestyle that is. And so I hope you stick around to find out what that is. Today, um, we say goodbye, um, as today is the last part of our series, How to Win as Parents and with Parents. Um, and a little uh, announcement from the home front. Um, this fall, um, we will be gaining one more as a family, so that's exciting. So, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, uh-huh, yes, yes. I told Stephanie, I'm like, sooner or later, I'm not just going to be able to say that from the stage, and because people will be like, I don't even know who you are yet. So, like, um, but uh, yeah, just uh, love for you to know, and it's better than last time, because with Elia, I, some of you found out about this, but I, I, Stephanie told everybody down in kids, and I forgot to tell you all, because I just got into the message, and I'm like, and then, and then she looks at me, and she, I'm like, oh, I forgot to tell her. <laughs> So, yes. Uh, anyways, so today we're wrapping up the series about parenting. If you've missed a part of it, um, don't worry. You can catch up on our website, on our app. Um, love for you to be a part of this conversation. Um, as I've heard wonderful feedback from you, and how many of you are, are now at a stage of parenting where you're looking back and saying, gosh, I wish I would have known this sooner. And so for those of you who have an opportunity to speak into the lives of others, other parents, other, um, uh, or you still have an opportunity to speak into your kids' lives or other children's lives, your teacher, nurse, whoever you are, that you have this opportunity, I would really encourage you to take it because really the next generation is worth so much to our future. Um, and I know I care about it as much as probably you do. And so um, we just, we really truly just want to win. Now, isn't it true isn't it true that you want, you all want the best, you want the best for those you love the most? For those people who you care about the most, who have a very important place in your heart, that you, at the end of the day, want the best for them. That if you put away the corny dad jokes and the embarrassing moments that you take to embarrass your kids and all that other stuff, at the heart of it, at the heart of it, you want the best for those people you care about the most. And this is no more evident th- that I thought of than, than the moment in which you enter into a brand new relationship, right? Like, kind of sparks are flying, you know, you like wonder if you've met the one, right? And at that point in the relationship, it is so easy for you to say for that individual whom you just think is everything in the, that state of, edge of your life, um, you want the best for them. You want a perfect life for them. You, and maybe you even promise that to them. Well, if, if we just, if we make it, you know, we're, we're, I, just, I just believe this is going to be the best. And I'm going to give you the best, and I love you, and I hope you'll marry me and all that good jazz, right? And hopefully for other people in your family or your friend circle, you feel some of the same things. That, um, that for your spouse, you know, maybe it was sparks at the beginning, but even now today, years later, you would say that you would want the best for them. And most certainly, I think we would all say that for those of us who have influence into a child's life or are a parent, that we would say we would want the best for our kids. And so today, um, I want to offer you something that I think will be one of the best things that you can give your kids. But the challenge is um, that thing kind of usually, often, takes a back seat to what we kind of think of, and not literally, but figuratively, a perfect life. That in our ideal world, like if I could give you a gift card and say, here is a gift card to give your children a perfect life, you would probably take it, right? I mean, because you love your kids, you want the best for them. But perfect 
as we all know, isn't possible. It's not possible. Despite how hard we try, despite the books we read, even the sermons that we come and listen to or that we preach, we fall short of that. And sometimes we even go so far as to adjust what perfect means, right? I think we're all kind of guilty of this a little bit that, well, you know what? My goal, my perfect vision for my child or, or my spouse or whatever was a certain income or a certain title or whatever that may be. But even if they made it in this range, I'd still consider it perfect. See, we scale perfect so that it fits our ideal. And unfortunately, I fear that sometimes we live a little bit in denial and instead, and, and re- reject the fact that perfect really isn't possible. It isn't possible. But that doesn't mean, right, that we don't try to offer the best to those we care for, that those we love the most. We, we offer the best that we can. And, and we try in some way or another to offer a perfect life to those we love and, and to our kids, to always show them the compassion that maybe we feel inside, though sometimes that's a little lost in translation. But my hope is that we realize today that though we try so hard, no amount of money, no amount of family, family pressures, no amount of anything really will bring the perfect, the ideal that we hope for. That in life, there's going to be so many things that pull at us. You probably could name a couple from just your past week of the forces that pulled at your life, and that honestly there was moments maybe you even felt a little bit out of control, that, that you didn't have control of the life, the ideal that you wanted, that the insecurities came out, that the anger came out, and that the joy was taken away. But what if? What if I could offer you a life that had peace, that had hope, that had joy? That no matter the trials ahead, they're not going to be easy, they're not going to be without their challenge, but they're going to be manageable. And they'll never define who you are or who your kids will be. That would be pretty nice. Sounds almost perfect, doesn't it? Now, examples of this ideal life, of this perfect life, of this life that can get you through just about anything, is found throughout history, but Specifically, when we look at the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, there are a number of stories of this happening and taking place. And one in particular I wanted to share with you today because um, it's really a great example of a dysfunctional family, which underneath the shiny exteriors of our homes and sometimes our lives is more or less the reality of our lives. This is just a little bit simply dysfunctional. And so today's story I wanted to share with you comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 37. So if you want to follow along or you go home and read it at home, that's okay. I don't have time for the whole story because it's chapters and chapters and chapters long, but I wanted to skim it because, one, it's familiar to you, and two, because it's a great example of a family going through life in reality, but coming out on the other end okay. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. Now, you may be familiar with it, in part, even if you haven't read your Bible or you didn't grow up going to Sunday school, because there's a famous musical written about it, um, and that's called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, we got one musical fan over to the right. That's awesome. Or the amazing, my bad, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, okay? Joseph, what? Oh, okay. Okay, so <laughs> I was just momentarily interrupted up here. Um, <laughs> 
A couple years ago, I talked about Joseph, okay, and I said, if you could find the clip of me in this musical, because it's on YouTube, I would show it. I will not do that again, <clears throat> primarily because the production team not only played the clip once, but they played it like three more times. And so, uh, but yes, uh, for your enjoyment, after you read the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, I will give you permission to try to search the internet to see if you can find me in the musical. And the person who found it cannot give it up. You know who you are. Okay, anyways. <clears throat> so, back to the story, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, all right? So, Joseph um, had a pretty important family, and you may be familiar with some of the characters in Joseph's family. Um, I brought a family tree, I think, hopefully, along. Yeah, this thing. Now, it's pretty complex, but here's some names you may be familiar with. Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, okay? And one of those sons was a guy named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob went by another name, and so if you read through the story, you'll, you'll see Jacob interchanged with the, the name Israel, which is where the, the modern-day nation of Israel comes from, Jacob and his lineage. And so Jacob has a number of sons, and one of them, right over here with Rachel, uh, number 11 on the map, is a guy named Joseph. And in this story, when we pick up the story, Joseph is 17 years old at this point. He, and he's one of 12 other sons, okay? And so it's a big family, and it's a dysfunctional family. So the story picks up um, there, okay? So in Genesis chapter 37, um, now Israel, it said, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his age, in his old age. Now, I, I, I totally agree with what you're thinking right now. I would never do that, right? You would never have a favorite child, right? Because you're all just perfect parents. So, J Jacob, or Israel, had a favorite son, and his name was Joseph, and he kind of showed it. But this is really important because this kind of goes back to that best thing. You want the best for those that you love the most. Israel wanted the best, the best life, the perfect life for Joseph. And so Israel would do things that set Joseph apart from all of his other brothers. He would bring the best that money could buy. He would tote on Joseph more than the other brothers. And one way he showed this was the very famous way, um, and, and we read that in the next verse, in verse 4, it says, or in the conclusion of verse 3, excuse me, he made an ornate robe for him. And in fact, what's so interesting about this word, um, some of you know this Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew. This word, we really actually don't know what it's translated to be. We just contextualize and assume this is what it is, an ornate robe. So by saying it could be a technicolor dream coat, we, we don't know. I'm guessing not, but it could be. Okay, so it's an ornate robe. And this is kind of a big deal. Because at that time, um, Jacob and his family were, were Bedouin. They were shepherds. They, they didn't have a town, per se. They lived in tents out in the desert. And in fact, you, think, you may think those times are, are gone, but that is still a very normal way to live in modern-day Israel today. In fact, I brought a picture because it was literally all over when I went to Israel. It was all over. Here you can see these sheep uh, scattered about the, the mountainside right there alongside the road. And shepherds were everywhere. Shepherds were everywhere. But as you can imagine, to create an ornate robe for someone is kind of a big deal. Because it not only is expensive to dye it and all that kind of stuff, but then to actually just procure the resources, you'd have to take much of your resources that you needed to sell to make a living to make it happen. But, but, Israel loves, Jacob loves his son Joseph so much that to him, it's worth it. And so the story begins in such an idealistic, 
I want the best for kind of a note that the parent wants to better the child and create the best for the child. But then what happens next over the next almost 10 chapters brings us back to reality, brings all of us maybe back closer to what we've experienced. That no matter how nice the coat is, a perfect life isn't possible. No matter how nice, no matter how much gifts, no matter what it looks like, a perfect life isn't possible. That it's going to be full of disappointments and letdowns and struggles and needs that go unmet. And parents, and this story is a perfect example of this, parents, you're not always going to be there. You're not always going to be there. Even when your child is with you while they're growing, you're not always going to be there. You're not always going to be there for the school things, the stuff that happens at school. You're not always going to be there when they're friends' issues when they have dark thoughts about themselves, about others. You're not always going to be there when they have issues with their spouse. It's not possible. So what are you going to do? Look what happened to Joseph, and some of you know how this story goes, but when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And so what did they do? They faked his death. They sold him into slavery. His father was heartbroken. Joseph was on his way to Egypt as a slave now. His father thinks he's dead. And for the next over a decade, almost 20 years of Joseph's life, Joseph endures pain, suffering, loneliness, and all the things we as parents try to prevent for our children. We as spouses, we as people who care about other people, try to prevent in the people we care about the most. Think about it from the perspective of, of you as a child. Think about your parents. Isn't it true that, that probably, and I realize we have different variations of, of, of relationship with our parents or guardians who never cared for you, but isn't it true that at least in your parents' eyes, they wanted the best for you? They didn't wish any harm on you. They, wa- they wanted to do as good a job as they at least knew how. But that didn't mean that there weren't times since then, and even then, that you didn't feel alone. That you didn't feel a little lost. That you felt like you had to keep secrets because if you said it something, they'd be embarrassed and you'd feel bad and it just created negative dynamic in the relationship. That you were afraid, that you felt helpless and insecure and all those things. Most certainly you felt them. That's just the inevitable journey of life, no matter how great a parent could be. And if you look at the life of Joseph, you go home and, and read it, and some of you know this, that's what Joseph, Joseph got into slavery, into Egypt, and eventually gained influence and worked his way up in, in a man named Potiphar's house, and he was in charge, and he was like the head of the house, and it was really great, but then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife for doing something he, he didn't actually do, and so then he was sent to jail, and then in jail, he had this hope of getting out, and a friend said, yeah, I'll, I'll let people know about you and all this stuff, but essentially he just got forgotten. He got forgotten and left in prison. But the thing you know about Joseph, if you've heard any of the story, is he made it through. He didn't give in over those couple decades of of life and struggle and a roller coaster. 
to, to, the, to the challenges of life. And it wasn't because he had a perfect coat, right? He had lost that. And it wasn't because he was just strong and tough and he could just push his way through it and endure because, man, it is difficult to endure a prison-like conditions in those days. See, I think if Joseph were here today, he would tell us that there is something that is really important and was key to him making it through those 20 years or nine chapters of Genesis. And it brought Joseph to a time in his life where he was not only in charge, but he was second to Pharaoh himself in all of Egypt. And he was able to then reconcile with his brothers whom had hurt him and essentially put him in this predicament in the first place. And it even brought him to a point where he could reunite with his father who was heartbroken, reconcile, and celebrate that reunion again. He could meet with his father who loved him, but wasn't able to help him in his life. This is how that moment happened, and then I'll tell you why. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph, after years and years apart, appeared before him, he, Joseph, threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And Israel, now old in his age, said to Joseph, he said, now I'm ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Not a perfect story. No one has it. It's an imperfect one. But it is satisfying. If this was a movie, which it is, but if it was a movie, you'd get to the end and you'd say, yeah, that, that was satisfying. Not perfect, but satisfying. Redeeming. There were so many redeeming qualities to it. So many people learned, and there were so many takeaways. And, and Joseph brought peace to the land of Egypt, brought peace to his family, and brought peace to his father, despite the struggle and unfairness. So what if you, what if you could offer, you could offer what Joseph had to those you care about most? You could offer what Joseph had, because Joseph didn't have insurance, didn't have a career path, didn't have a house, but he made it through. Christian or not, I mean, doesn't that intrigue you a little bit that he endured all that and, and his life ended on a positive, positive note? See, what I hope that you will consider offering to those that you care about the most, especially your kids, is a faith-filled life. Not a perfect life, but a faith-filled life. Joseph, a slave without value, God gave Joseph influence. God gave Joseph an in. And Joseph stayed true to the Lord and stayed true to being a caring, honest, humble person. And in some ways, that actually put him back in prison. Or put him in prison for the first time, I should say. Put him in prison. And he was there hopeless, in doubt and depression, and God gave him a way out. And even in leadership, when, when Joseph was in charge practically of the whole nation of Egypt, God gave him what he needed to do exceptionally well, to practically save the nation itself. In the absence of Joseph's earthly father, his heavenly father stepped in through Joseph's faith-filled life and took a life that could be defined by everything ne negative, and made it positive. Parents, we all have, 
We all have that option. Now at Infuse, and I, I realize some of you, some of you have uh, actually downloaded it. It's called the Parent Q app. Some of you are familiar with it, and if you've opened it before, on, on the opening page of the Parent Q app, once you sign in, it's something that we offer for anyone who's in our, our um, birth through fifth grade environments down there happening right now. Um, if you open it up, the first thing that you see is a countdown of the number of weeks you have until your child turns 18 as a reminder. And, and the reminder is that you begin with 936 weeks. 936 weeks. Now, I realize for some of us that is depressing. It's depressing to look at that and say, wow, I have so many, little time. Elia, Elia, who is 17 months old, we are already in the mid-800s. Not a lot of time. I hope it won't be depressing, though, because I think what's depressing is that we know some point our role as parent of parents will kind of come to the end. And my ask of you is not to be depressed, you can mourn it. You can be sad about it when that day, that 18th day, that day when they, they go out kind of on their own comes. You can be sad about it, but in the meantime, engage with them. This is not something to be sad about. This is an opportunity to invest. And so one of the things that Parent Q recommends is that you take a jar, and so that's what I did, and you fill it up with 900 and some odd marbles. And I thought that was a great illustration um, because, one, I thought the bowl would be bigger, but it isn't. It's actually pretty small to get that many marbles in there. But every marble is important, and every marble is different. It's not perfect, right? There's going to be days when you are so proud of those you care about the most, and there are days and weeks you're going to be so disappointed. And as a parent, there are going to be days you are looking at yourself in the mirror like, wow, I just killed it being a parent this week. <laughs> and there are going to be plenty of weeks where you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what was that? I am not as different from my parents as I thought I was, or something along those lines, okay? But these days, these weeks, excuse me, start to pass relatively quickly, and they disappear. And we have an opportunity. What if every week, every week could be a faith-filled week? On average, a life has about 4,000 weeks in it. That means 25% of those 4,000 weeks are with you, a parent. What do you do with the other 75%? Well, if you give your child a faith-filled life, it's taken care of. Because God, their father, is going to be there, not just for 25, not just for 75, but all 4,000 plus weeks of their life. When you can't be there, even though they even may be in your home, when they are there debating over a thought, a decision, a choice, a success, a struggle that they have, you may be in the other room, but that makes all the difference in the world. And that child has a decision to make, but their heavenly father, their heavenly father can be there can't be there. And this is a story that happens over and over throughout the Bible. And this is a story that you have shared. Some of you, when you get baptized, you share the, these moments when your Heavenly Father steps into your life and interrupts it in a way that's so profound, you just have to sit there and say, wow, that is, that is a game changer. That is life changing. And it, and it directs every decision you make. It's a faith-filled life. What if you gave that 
to your kids. And I understand this is difficult. It, it's skepti- I mean, it's easy to be skeptical about this, and especially if you're not Christian. I totally understand that. I get that. I was there at one point in my life, a faith-filled life that sounds so hard, so difficult. But number one, the research is actually really clear. You can go look it up when you get home. Go Google it. The research is really clear. If someone has a faith-filled life, they will live longer, have healthier relationships, and develop as a child better. That's just science. And when you go through difficult times, when you went through difficult times as a child, who did you, who'd you latch on to? Who did you ideally latch on to? Well, it was, it was your parents, right? Hopefully. But there's been times when you didn't. You latched on to something else. You latched on to, to drugs or alcohol in and, and bad times, or, or maybe you, you latch on to having a girlfriend or a boyfriend or someone in your life because that kind of defines a little bit of who you are. When you're in a, when you're in a low, you just, you just go in, all inward, and it's all about you, and you push everybody away, and you just say, I'm going to make this happen, don't you? But it doesn't work very well because you're latching on to something that's generally unhealthy. Now, parent is healthy for time, but not forever. After those 936 weeks, what are you going to do? Because whatever your child latches onto, just as whatever you latched onto, whatever you latch onto, it has authority in your life. Hopefully it's a parent, and then that parent has authority, but whatever you latch onto in that time or after has authority in your life. Parents, why do you give up authority? Why do you give up that precious thing, that authority, instead of redirecting it to a father in heaven who loves your kids more than you do? I'm not saying you abdicate your authority. Not just like, well, good luck, you know, God's got you, see ya. No, this is an intentional fostering of a relationship and a sharing of faith. I'm not saying force them. Let me be really clear about that, because that is not infused style. If you've been here for any length of time, we are not into forcing people into faith. This is a personal decision. And many of you would say, you know what? Forcing me did not work for me. I walked away from church. I avoided it. I left because it was boring, and it was lame, and I didn't want to be a part of it, and I felt forced into going, and that may be true, and so we try to remedy that so your kids enjoy coming at least to infuse, right? But this is an observation. I think most of us feel forced into something when the someone who's telling us or sharing about it or, or encouraging us in a certain direction doesn't do it with us. When your boss says, just take care of that, and you're like, Whose responsibility is that? You know? You feel forced because they just kind of give you the, the load and you're just supposed to figure it out. I think as parents, when we engage with our kids in their faith, or we share our faith, or we even just share simply that we're trying to figure out our faith, our kids respect that. And they listen, and they value it. And you have an opportunity to change them for the future, to give them something to rely on when you can't even be there. Jesus never forced his disciples. What did he do? He said, follow me. It was an invitation. It was an invitation to follow. Not forced, just an invitation. And you can share that with your kids. Share that journey with them. 936 weeks, every single week, can be a faith-filled week. 
And they'll get to the end of that, and they'll appreciate it. They may not believe it at that stage or at all stages of their future of all the remaining weeks left in their lives, but they'll appreciate it. Why not give, why not give them that opportunity? When they need help in their marriage, and you're not there anymore. When they need help in parenting, and maybe you're not able to be there. When they need help, period, and you don't have all the answers, that maybe they could have a Father in heaven, a Savior who walked the earth, who can walk with them. Parents, I was watching a video this week, and it just, it just really hit me what the speaker was talking about. He, he, just, he just said, you can't take your money with you, can you? Whether you're Christian or not, you literally just cannot take it with you. You can't take your house. You can't take your car. You can't take all the things that you would love to give your child that in your minds would define what a perfect life looks like. You can't take it with him. All the awards, all, all that. Not going anywhere. But when you move on from this earth, the one thing that you can bring with you eventually is your family. It's those you love most. And I don't talk about heaven a lot because I think you can experience a lot of that here and now today. But when that time comes, your family can be there with you. How do you do that? Well, it's a good start to watch the last few weeks of this message series because I give a lot of practical things. But the bottom line is you just decide. And I know it feels like it should be harder than that, but it's not. You just decide. You just decide. You start to follow Jesus one step at a time. You teach, you discuss, you ask questions, you make mistakes, you figure it out. We're not asking you to be perfect people, and neither is your heavenly Father. That's why he sent Jesus. He got that figured out. But that you are working at it. No matter the age, no matter the relationship type, that you would pray with your child at every stage of life, at every week. That you'd read with your child every week. That you'd you have conversations about where you are. Adjust to their capacity, please, but have that conversation. It's not going to be perfect. Don't try to make it. Just consider making it a faith-filled life and start taking steps in that direction. Maybe you just need to set a reminder. I know this sounds silly, but set a reminder on your phone. When we did that for the first series this month, or this year, I don't know if you remember that, I don't want to, about responsibility. And I've had a number of you come up to me and say, yeah, that reminder popped up. How can I be more responsibility? Set a reminder so that every week, every night, you are engaging because you will fall short. And it will not guaranteed work out as ideally as you'd want it to. You can ask my mom and dad. They did not expect the preacher. Here I am. I understand you may not be at a faith-filled life yet, but don't not offer that to your child. As you ask questions, go through it with them. It's an incredible gift that you can give them as a parent. Not something they're forced into, but they have an opportunity to get to know their Father in Heaven and one day make that decision for themselves. And as a parent, why would you not want the best for your kid? Why would you not want the best for those you care about most? Why would you not want to tell them 
about a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to show us how much he loved us. Why not? Why not? 